Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at whether fears of recession have faded and consider what investors should learn from another chaotic week in markets. With Miles Sherry, Wealth Manager, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome back to another episode of Word on the Street. So, well, I think it's fair to say that since the weekend, which really started off with certain sporting events, it's been a pretty complicated week. It was a complicated sporting event as well, wasn't it? I mean, it was a great sporting event. It was. It was a great yes, sporting event, but yes. complicated as well for certain yes. reasons that we won't go into. Yes. Today, but it's fair to say, looking across markets, I mean, you look at pretty much everything. It's been hopping around left, right, center. Chaos could even be a fair word yes. to describe it. Not yes. that I want to be too downbeat here. No. Everything's looking a bit confusing. We've had some muddied economic data as well. What's your initial read, take on everything that's gone on so far this week? Miles, yeah, good opener. It is, like you say, it's particularly disorienting, I think, for the sort of so-called consensus, you know, the average of views that people look for to sort of find out what the consensus is. Yep. There's no doubt about that, that the whole sort of commentary out, you know, all these talking heads have been braced for a recession, you know, in the crash position, you know, looking at the world through their fingers as such. And so far, you know, the big sort of disorienting fact is that there's still really not much sign of one in the data. The week's market action continues to reflect that kind of disorientation among many investors. Government bond yields, you know, the, the cost for governments to borrow from us, not just Barclays, obviously us as individuals everywhere, uh, yeah. everywhere. The cost for governments to borrow from us at all varying maturities, that's been surging. You've seen that. Um, and that in turn has seems to be infecting other parts of the capital markets complex. So stocks, credit, you know, lending to companies. And you are, you know, you saw even this week a bit of a pickup in the cost of insuring against default, certainly lower quality companies. So that's usually a sign that recession worries are picking up a bit. So it's all over the place. It's really, it's an interesting moment um, and disorienting for investors, like you say. And what do you think is causing it? Probably the million dollar question and an unfair one for me as usual, because maybe a slightly naive view on my part is one could say that we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, people went into this year very much expecting a recession Many saying it was inevitable. And it just hasn't really shown up. So is some of this maybe giving up on that whole concept? Yeah, but perhaps it's a mix, Miles. You know, maybe we're looking at the, you know, the impatience of the, you know, the innate impatience of the social media age and meets an economy where what people talk about, those long and variable lags, you know, that the fact that our interest rate sensitivity, particularly in the US, is a bit less than usual because, you know, consumers and businesses, they locked in, you know, famously locked in low interest rates for a much longer period. That's not so much the and case. And their mortgage market's a bit different as well. Their mortgage it? market is different. So they're not, you know, consumers there just aren't going to face the interest rate hikes as quickly as, you know, mortgages in this country are, for instance. And, you know, I think people were looking at interest costs for US businesses in some cases still coming down. Yeah, I mean, maybe that is maybe that is the thing. I mean, you can argue that maybe we're just not, you know, maybe we just got to wait a bit longer. Maybe the recession will come. That's certainly what some are still arguing, you know, that higher interest rates are a kind of unavoidable black hole that uh, will suck us into a downturn no matter what we do. However, I think if you look at the last couple of weeks, this time really is, you know, that this time is different crowd. And I probably go into that a little bit. I love that. You do. I love that. Uh, but they've probably had more losses, more more wins than losses in the news and data. So the surveys, certainly kind of the most august, the most long existing and most trusted, the ISM manufacturing survey we're always banging on about, that seemed to be turning a corner. There's 
few signs yet that the labor market is really weakening. You know, a few spots, but nothing really plausible. The data is simply not telling that consistent a story. And yes, if you look in amongst the consumption data in the US and elsewhere, so some of the detail suggests a bit more of a you know, a value awareness from some consumer mm. blocks, and that's important to think about. So more discount activity, et cetera, et cetera. However, I think the really interesting bit that goes into the positives column is the, you know, the revisions to past data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, basically telling us a materially different story to of you know, the path we've been, and that has implications for the future. And it's a really interesting point because a general theme that's been discussed by various people on here over the past couple of years has been those excess savings that came about from, Mm. you know, savings building up from the pandemic. And again, if you listen to the doomsayers across the board, they were pretty firm in their view that that savings pile would deplete, everything would run out of steam, and then there would be problems. But again, that doesn't really seem to have happened either, does it? Well, the revisions are are key here, you know, so like you rightly say, you know, part of that kind of you know, brace, brace, brace from the from the from the assembled Yeah, from the from the various commentators has been that that excess savings pile, you know, stored up from the pandemic. You know, some of it was because, you know, in the developed world we just couldn't spend our money on some of the things that we would usually spend it on, you know, face-to-face services. And so there was some squirreled away as a result. Some of it was also as a result of kind of government support programs in the US, UK and Europe and elsewhere. And so that excess savings hoard, you know, we've been watching, you know, people have been watching it sort of whittle. Deflate. Deflate, whittle, whatever you want to do it. Yes, there you go. Look at that. Winding it, you know, getting up, mixing up the metaphors nicely. But, you know, the, the latest revisions to this data they certainly they changed that so essentially you could say that actually rather than running out imminently one way of looking at these data revisions is actually the excess savings could run on for another couple of years at the current trajectory you, you want to be a bit careful you've got to be balanced about you've it you've got to be balanced and there's a number of ways of interpreting this data and if we're looking at such a substantial revision we've got to sort of again you know that comes with humility in itself doesn't it that we were well because let's be frank often we actually say don't pay too much attention yeah, to the revisions yeah, so. yeah, exactly exactly but yes no it, 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 that was certainly a positive turn and an interesting one in terms of the resilience of the consumer Got it. And maybe linked to that, let's have a look at fiscal deficits. So mm-hmm. as a quick reminder, government's obviously spending more than what they collect in receipts from things like tax, for example. Mm-hmm. That has been expanding, as in it, generally speaking, for some time and looks set to continue to do so. And our colleagues over in the investment bank wrote about this, didn't they, relatively recently and pointed to the fact that maybe the surprise announcement we saw back in, when was it, early August time from the US Treasury where they were planning a trillion dollar of issuance, maybe that sort of poses a bit of a trigger for the bond market, let's call it routes, that, mm-hmm. that we've sort of seen of late. Do you think there's you know, a degree of validity in that? Yeah, I mean, there's some logic and intuition here, I think. You can see if you have a government spending more than it brings in in taxes and all the rest over time. You know, very simplistically, and there's more to it than this, but your debt pile should grow and therefore you will need to issue more debt. And if there was finite demand to lend to governments and companies around the world, which makes sense, you know, there is finite human beings. So, you know, surely we'd have a limited appetite (laughs) to lend to these entities. In order to absorb that extra supply, you should need extra incentive, more yield, you know, a lower price for bond, higher interest rates. You know, so, so I mean, there is, like I say, more to this. You know, much depends on how the government spends the proceeds of the debt, what is the productivity paradigm you're living through and therefore the growth rate at the moment, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to ask another incredibly simplistic question. Widening fiscal deficits, does it simply mean that we should expect higher interest rates? Reliably, does it, does it mean that? 
there are no or there are many fewer and i think you know you and i talked about this a lot but you know you there are many fewer rules that we can rely on than we think always and i think you know the interesting thing is that if you look at the post-world war period there is some statistical support for this idea however viewed over the much much longer term there's a great paper by a guy called paul schmelzing who wrote something called eight centuries of global real interest rates r minus g and the suprasecular decline 1311 to 2018 mm-hmm. i'm not expecting it to outsell the latest Jack Reacher in airports, <laughs> in honesty, but the, quite the gripping, you know, the gripping conclusion from this kind of gigantic piece of scholarship from a few years back is that actually interest rates, both inflation adjusted and nominal, real and nominal, seem to be totally indifferent to monetary and uh, political regimes. There's, you know, there seems to be, you know, a very long term downtrend in real interest rates that's persisted through all sorts of regimes, all sorts of environments, you know, weird. And if you were listening to this as an investor today, you might think that some of that might sound a little bit unnerving. If we're if what's we're all, being, what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> what's the point in anything? If, if we're being honest, yeah, so, what's the point in all this jibber jabber? Yeah, but, but that's always goes back to point. What does it mean for you know the typical normal investor? normal normal people who aren't obsessed yeah. by this stuff? Yeah, you don't spend all their days. Yeah, looking yeah. at this. Well, I mean, I think you know the helpful bit is that there's just a lot that we can simply ignore in this context. You know, precision is a virtue in many aspects of our existence, in many jobs, to be honest. You know, you don't want a, you know, an imprecise surgeon, among many other things. But in the world of economics and markets, that just may be spurious, you know, the calling card of the, you know, the many false prophets, I would argue. Right now, the message for investors is roughly the same, even in the face of all this uncertainty about the kind of the order of things, new technology and its adoption and incorporation into the wider economy. They are powerful positives for investors. That remains the case. And that's still one of the sort of rules that we can call upon in a way. The valuation of some parts of the stock market may be exaggerating this new technology's effect, but others are still, other yeah, parts yeah. are still underplaying it. And, and I think, you know, that the world economy looks more resilient and feared. It's a cause for celebration, not, not depression about the, the stuff that we can't forecast, even if we have to be humble about the sources of this you know, resilience. But, you know, back to a normal theme of yours and my discussions, you know, I think, and it's understandable, but the sustained kind of horror and suffering doled out by much of the last few years, it's left many kind of reflexively bleak. And that's understandable, like I say, but we should keep in mind humanity's longer journey out of poverty and suffering. And that's a journey that is still in motion on current evidence. And one good way to financially benefit from this, you guessed it, is through a diversified exposure. Yeah, diversified exposure to the global economy. And I think, you know, the most important thing, and if I was to sort of leave with a message of any sort, it's just remember that in amongst all this uncertainty about frameworks and models, and I think, you know, we are inveterate pattern spotters we can you know in our it's attempts, human nature isn't it yeah and it's got it's got us far you know i've written about this this week actually as it goes but you know it, it's got us far even in evolutionary terms but it's quite damaging potentially as investors because what we try and do and economists and everything is you know you've got this kind of chaos of data and news flow coming in and, and, and it can be unnerving it makes us cringe a little bit so what we try and do is and it gets of, faster and faster it gets every faster year. and faster and there's more data yeah. more surveys all that kind of stuff and so we try and sort of full speed it into the kind of latest fashionable model of the moment to try and make order bring order into the chaos 
and that's true of central banks to a degree and all this kind of stuff. It, it, it's a way of making us feel less, you know, all of that chaos and uncertainty feel a little bit less unnerving is that there must be an order. There's a there's a rule to it. It's like the same in investing with kind of risk premium and all these kind of things. We're trying to find order in amongst the chaos and we're mining history in order to find those models. And that some of them don't work or don't survive contact with reality. That's that that is a bit unnerving sometimes. But I think the lesson of the last while is that at all times you probably need to treat the economy as innocent until proven guilty rather than the reverse. And remember that the commentary out, those people that we're always slacking off all the time, myself included, were incentivized to be gloomy. You're more likely to listen to us if we're gloomy and telling you that the world's going to end tomorrow. That's the same. I always talks about this, doesn't she? Yeah, no, she's quite right. She's quite right. You know, it's and it, 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 there is that is the tendency. You know, even the stop clock doomers of the last fifty years, they got a huge book sale boost when it came to, you know, when they. <laughs> predicted the great financial crisis their time will come eventually they will they will but i i think you know just remember optimism is kind of you know probably the more profitable trait amongst investors and even in this kind of weird world we're currently inhabiting where some of the rules of economic logic and gravity and all those kind of things seem to be being defied yeah growth is the norm not the exception just remember that and that's what you're investing for and we're in this incredible you know period of technological change which the way to benefit from that is to invest own companies so as ever, it's try and keep your head below the sand. Right. Don't pay too much attention to the swings. Yes. Focus on that long-term story. Yes, yes. That sounded like a little bit of Ryder Cup commentary. Just, <laughs> just to finish off with. But yes. Very good. Short and sweet, hopefully. Yes. Maybe we've even given JP and Maya some competition. But uh, thanks as ever, Will. And have a fantastic weekend. Speak next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value. And their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.